Okay, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse 14, picking up where we left off last week. Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. You know, this, this 30 pieces of silver, we don't know how to gauge that, but let me just tell you about 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is insult money. 30 pieces of silver is what it says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, to give for a dead slave. So in other words, if my ox gores your slave, I owe you 30 pieces of silver. It is a small amount of money. It is an insult amount of money. It is precisely what was given for a dead slave. You know, in, insult money is, is, is uh, it, it, it's like this. When I go out to a restaurant to eat, I give between 15 and 20% tip based on, on the service. If the service is, is, is good, I'll give them 20%. If the service is bad, I give them 15%. But if the service were just horrendous, just terrible, like they, they mixed up the orders four times and they spilled all the food on my lap, you know, I, I might not give any tip at all, but I would probably talk to the manager about this. But, but um, to not give any tip at all is different than leaving a penny or a nickel. That is an insult amount. And... Uh, so, so there's an amount that you can give that is almost worse than no amount at all. It's an insult amount. That's exactly what this is. They weren't paying any high price for Jesus. I mean, these guys are saying, we will give you 30 pieces of silver. And probably Judas is like, I mean, this is an important guy you want here. But they weren't going to pay any money for this. This was an insult amount of money. Verse 17. Now, on the first day of the week, uh, on the first day, I'm sorry, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you the Passover? And he said, Go into the city and a certain man, it, it, go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near, I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. This same account is, is referenced in two of the other Gospels, in Mark and in Luke. And in both of those Gospels, it gives a little bit more detail. It says that Jesus said, Go into the town and you will, find, you will see a man carrying a pitcher. Follow him. And I, I don't know, you know, probably a lot of people carried pitchers, but I'm guessing maybe they were more often women. But anyway, he says, You're going to see a man carrying a pitcher. You're going to meet a man carrying a pitcher. Follow him. The house that he goes into... He says, ask the owner of the home, say to the owner of the home, my, my master has need of, 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 uh, of a place for the Passover. And he's going to show you a large furnished upper room. Go and prepare it there. That's what, that's what uh, uh, is said. So, you know, this is quite a precise series of events. He says, I want you to go into a town. Go into the town. You're going to see a man carrying a pitcher. Follow him. Whatever home he goes into, you walk in there and say to the owner of the home, my master has need of a place for the Passover feast, and the man will show you a large upper room furnished. Go and prepare it there. 
Things like this don't happen every day. It's just like when, when Jesus came triumphantly riding a donkey into, into uh, uh, Jerusalem. He, says they, he said, go and, and you'll find a, a, a donkey with its colt and, and get it. And if they say, what are you doing? Just say, my master has need of it and they will release it to you. Things like this do occur on occasion in our Christian lives. Things like this occur where, you know, we, we pray for something and, 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 you know, little amazing things occur where God grants it. Let me give you an example. I ha- my, my oldest daughter, when she was four years old, her fourth birthday was approaching. She kept saying to me, I want a rainbow bike. I have no idea what a rainbow bike is, but, you know, she's only three years old, going on four. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll get you a rainbow bike. Knowing that any four-year-old, any bicycle you get them, they're going to like it. So um, she really wanted a rainbow bike. I said, okay, let's pray then that you get a rainbow bike. So we'd get down on our knees, and she would pray for a rainbow bike. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what a rainbow bike is, but whatever I find, I'm going to get. So the day before her birthday, I go to Tours R Us, and I'm just a, a poor postdoc. I had, like, no money. You know, I had postdocs, and they have these really fancy cars and all these things, and I'm wondering, how do they do this? I never had anything as a postdoc. We had almost nothing. In fact, I spend more in two weeks than I did in a year as a postdoc. And, and we lived, we lived in, in California. I was at Stanford, and the cost was just enormous living there. So I went to Tours R Us the day before her birthday, and, and that was back in a time when you, did, you couldn't buy assembled bicycles. You would see the bicycle assembled, but you would get the bicycle and they give you a big box and I figured I had to go home and assemble this thing. And a lot of people like to assemble stuff. You know, they, they get into this. I'm not that type. I can do it. I know how to do it, but I, I'd rather not. Anyway, they had this bicycle and there was one mark there that says, um, last one, take it, assembled. And I said, I'm taking that bike. And I'm colorblind. And so colors mean nothing to me. And, I, and so I didn't see any colors on it. I mean, it had colors. I saw shades or something, but it didn't mean anything to me. So I'm, I, I get this bike only because, you know, it's a little girl's bike with, with training wheels on it, and it was all assembled. So I get this bike, and I'm, I buy it, and I'm going out to the car, and I'm putting it in the car. And as I put it in the car, I see it says right across the side, Rainbow. This was a rainbow bicycle, and apparently it had rainbow stripes all across it. I didn't even notice it, and it had rainbow frills, and, and it had everything this little girl had asked for. God does things like this, but he does not generally do this every day in the lives of most believers. And so, there are, and, and there are lots of things that I could tell you about. Lots of occasions like this where we had asked for things, we had gotten it. Sometimes we didn't even ask for things and God would just have this sequence of events that would happen. But it's difficult to live there. Because what can happen is, is God does something like this in your life and you expect it all the time. And you start talking about it. And what happens is, sometimes these sort of events... God allows periodically in our lives. But if we always are expecting some amazing thing where we're going to meet a man carrying a pitcher and he's going to lead us into the house where we're to dwell, we look to the world as being somewhat kooky. And the world looks at believers like sometimes they, are you for real here? You know, and 
remember a lot of times God does this, but he doesn't generally do it every day. And you don't see this every day in the lives of the believers either. This was an amazing event. And I'm sure the believers, like the, the apostles, were like, he's sending us into the city and we're going to see a guy carrying a pitcher and we're to follow him. And we're to say to the owner of the house, my master has need of a room for the Passover. Where are you going to have it? I mean, you know, aren't we going to have to pay for this? Isn't it? But it happens exactly like Jesus said. These things happen. And I could give numerous occasions in my life, but they don't happen every day. And so we can expect God to move in certain ways, and we should expect it. The problem with never expecting is that life becomes awfully dull. As believers, we have this great advantage to be able to, to see God move and work. But then we also live day to day. All right, let's read on. Let's skip on down to verse 26. We'll talk about the betrayal another time in verse 20 through 25. Verse 26, And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said to them, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Alright, so, so you see Jesus takes this bread and he says, This is my body. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. All right, let's, let's look in, in another one of the Gospels and try to, to just get a balance here. Ma, uh, um, Mark 14. Mark 14 is the parallel account, meaning the same account now reported by Mark. So Mark is reporting the same thing, writing at a different time than Matthew had written. And, and if you look in Mark 14, reading... From verse um, 22. Mark 14, verse 22. And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, take it. This is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So what reading parallel accounts allows us to do is to see it gives us more detail into what is, what's happening. And again, Mark records it saying, this is my body. This is my blood. That's how Mark records it. Very similar to the way Matthew recorded it. Now let's look in Luke. So, Luke, who would interview lots of people and, and, uh, and try to figure out what exactly took place, Luke wrote about this incident as well. And if you look in Luke... Chapter 22, verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, which is the new covenant in my blood. So again, he says, This is my body, and he talks about the new covenant in my blood. Now let's look and see how Paul reports it. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is teaching the church about the Lord's Supper and he records something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, so obviously Paul was not there during the Passover fe fe feast, 
Paul's uh, uh, conversion came later on. But he says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So who taught this to Paul? It was not one of the other apostles. Paul was taught this by the Lord. The Lord himself told Paul what he said that day. Remember, Paul, shortly after his conversion, he had this experience where he was was taken up to the third heaven, it says, and he was taught by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus taught him the things that, that are happening. He says, I received from the Lord which I deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's 1 Corinthians 11.23. Okay. So, why does... Why do the, 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 the writers of the Scriptures record this as saying where Jesus said, this is my body. Why do they record it to say where Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood? And that's very simple. They record it this way because that's the way it happens. Okay? It's that simple. They record Jesus saying, this is my body. Take, eat, this bread. This is my body given for you. They record him saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. They record him saying that because that's exactly the way he said it. There isn't any commentary here. They're recording exactly what Jesus said. Does that make sense? All right. This is what Jesus said. This is the way we recorded it. Let's say that we weren't Christians for a minute. And we were just coming into this and reading What would we interpret? Remember what they say, don't build any theology based on one scripture. Well, we've read three different passages. And in every passage, it it said, this is my body, this is my blood. In every one of those three. Okay, so if we were coming into this, not as Protestants, not as Baptists, not as Catholics, not as Episcopalians, but as, as just, just coming from some foreign land and just opening up the Bible. This is what we would see. Now let's look in, in uh, John chapter 6. This is not a parallel account. However, there are words that are similar, similarly spoken here. In John chapter 6. Let's start reading from verse uh, 30. John chapter 6, verse 30. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What do you do? What do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who has given you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, always, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that, 
Okay, and then he, then he goes on. And pick it up at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, let's move on down to verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Alright, so they're grumbling about this. They're grumbling about the fact, it says in verse 41, they're grumbling about the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. I don't think that they would have grumbled if he had said, I represent the bread that came down out of heaven. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And if you're getting a little bit antsy here because I'm I'm going sort of against your theology, remember, we're not Christians right now. We're just reading this for what it is. Alright? Let's put aside our denominations and just read it for what it says. Jesus says, I am the bread, and this starts to bother them. They start grumbling about this. So Jesus is going to try to clarify this for them. Now watch how Jesus clarifies this for them. Jesus doesn't intentionally keep these poor people in a mystery. These are his disciples. It says these are his disciples. These are people who are following him. These are not a bunch of Pharisees. These are his disciples. They're grumbling about this, and this will be made more clear. Verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of me, uh, all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. How's that for clarity? I'm already grumbling about the fact that Jesus said he is the bread that came down out of heaven. And now Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I would much prefer if Jesus said, I represent the bread of life. But he didn't say that. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. That is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I mean, how much clearer can he be? He says, the bread which comes down is my flesh. Let's not over-spiritualize this right now. Let's just take it for what it says. Remember, we're not just picking out one verse. This is the fourth passage we're reading where there's made reference to his body being flesh. Remember, before you, 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 know, you throw me out of the Baptist church, just, just hear me out here. We're not Baptists today. We're just reading this for what it is. He says, it is my flesh. Here we are in, in, in 2007, like 2,000 years after Jesus has said this, reading this, and it's still a little bit confusing. Imagine the poor people that day. Now in verse 52, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So how were they interpreting this? They weren't interpreting this, oh, this is spiritual food. <laughs> He's speaking spiritually. 
No, if he was speaking spiritually, they never would have, if they interpreted him to be speaking spiritually, they never would have had trouble with it, right? They're having trouble with it because they're like, this is really weird. I mean, here is a man standing there saying, my flesh is the bread. So Jesus, not wanting to leave them lost, begins to clarify it for them more. Verse 52, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. What does truly, truly mean? It's like, I mean, what what term do you use to mean these days when you say, uh, it's for real? I mean, what do you say when you you, you, you want to get somebody and you say, I'm not kidding? I don't know, what do you say when you're 20 years old? What's the word? Come on, Jimmy, what's the word? No joke. No joke. No joke, no joke. This is what Jesus is saying. No joke. I mean, how else can he say? No joke, no joke. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. I thought you were going to clarify this for them, Jesus. We all know you're speaking spiritually. You can't be speaking yet. We know that you're not saying they're going to be eating your flesh and drinking your blood. So why don't you just come out and say it? Just say it. Jesus said, okay, I'm saying what I really mean. I will say, truly, no joke. Unless, he says, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoa. Alright, I have two apples. I have an apple right here. And it's an artificial apple. I have an apple right here. It's a real apple. What do I say when I try to convince you that this is the one to eat? I say, this is an artificial apple. This represents an apple. This looks like an apple. This one I say, this is a true apple. This is a real apple. The NIV says, real food, right? He says, my flesh is real food. The New American Standard says, true food. How much clearer can I make it? I think, this is a real apple. Oh, that's a spiritual apple. No, this is a real apple. Eat it. You're speaking figuratively. No, this is a real apple. What, what do you want me to do? How much clearer can I make it? Oh, you've taken one verse and built a theology. I've taken one verse? I mean, Jesus again and again in this chapter is like, how much? I just probably wants to shake them. And plus, we've read three other passages where it says the same thing. Have I taken one verse and built a theology? I haven't built any theologies yet. I'm just saying, can you see how someone might interpret this as his flesh being real food and his blood being true drink? Can you see how one might interpret it that way? If you don't interpret it that way, you certainly must concede that one could interpret it that way. Right? Do you see how the one who interprets it that way would scratch their head about seeing someone who wouldn't interpret it that way? Like, how many times does the guy have to tell you? Do you see that? Do you see? You know, for 1,500 years, there was no Protestant church. 
And some would say, well, the Catholic Church isn't really what started out. Okay, so, so, so for 1,200 years, this was the common belief, and only this, that the bread is true food. I'm sorry, the body, the, the flesh is true food, and the blood is true drink. Only, only in the last five or 600 years has there been a group of people that have thought differently. If you read this, you have to concede, okay, I understand where they're coming from. And could it be, before you pick up tomatoes, we didn't serve any tomatoes today, could it be that maybe, just maybe, they're right? And the group that believes that when he says, my flesh is true food, it's still all spiritual, is wrong. Could it, could it be? Maybe a very small probability? I don't know. You have to interpret the Bible for yourself. He who eat, verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Remember, this is the clarity that Jesus is giving. You want to know, you, you, want, to, you, want, you want a clear word? Eat my flesh and drink my blood and you'll have life. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as my Father ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. I mean, he's kind of said it many, many times. Now, verse 59. These things he said to them in the synagogue as he taught. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? These were his disciples. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you shall see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. All right, on the basis of this verse, verse 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. On the basis of this verse, many theologians say, ah, you see, Jesus is not really speaking that his, his flesh is real food, or his blood is true drink. I think that that's pretty weak. I think to take this verse and to say, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, and somehow negate all the other things that we've read is a weak argument, but I understand the argument. All right? I'm not trying to sway you. I'm just trying to, you know, we're all intellectuals here. We go to rice, right? And, and, you know, we're all intellectuals. We're smart folks, right? So we can figure this out. This is an intellectual exercise. You and I must grapple with the Scriptures and must ask God for clarity. Verse 64, but there were some of those who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and, and who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come unto me unless it's been granted him from the Father. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to say, whoa, 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 come back, come back. I was talking spiritually. The words that I'm speaking to you are spirit and life, spirit and life, spirit. It wasn't real, you know, eat this, 
hand of mine. It's spirit. Come on back. No. He didn't call them back. Many of his disciples withdrew. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even his twelve didn't quite understand him. They didn't always, you know, they didn't start to, they just said, we have nowhere else to go. I mean, we've been associated so closely with you, they're kind of after us too, and we'd rather be with you than kind of on our own. And he says, we've come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. There's going to be many things that you don't understand and I don't understand throughout my Christian walk. But we are not to abandon Jesus because of it. Many things will happen. God, why did you let that happen? Why did my child die? Why did my spouse die? We were, or we were engaged and we were to be married next week and he died. If God were really a real, he wouldn't have died. No, there's going to be many things that will happen in our lives that you and I don't understand. But our word must be, where should we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Remember, there's going to be many things we don't understand, but we must hold on to the Lord. But let's get back to this, this passage. I don't know how, if, if Jesus really did mean it. Let's say he really did mean that this bread is his flesh and this blood, this, this wine is his blood. Let's say he really did mean it. How would he communicate that to us? I don't know that he could have communicated it any more emphatically than the way he did. If he wanted to convince people that this were the real thing, I don't know how he could have done it. So, what do I do? I get really intense about a certain subject. And I, I just, I get this tunnel vision and I start staring at it and reading every passage about it. And this goes on for months. And people say all these things to me and it means nothing to me because I'm studying only this. Well, I went through this with the body and with the blood. That maybe I have it wrong. Maybe all my Protestant friends are wrong and the Catholics are right. <gasps> I'm just telling you, this is what went through my mind. So what did I do? I called the highest Catholic priest I could get. I asked for the highest guy, and, and he wasn't a bishop or anything, but I, I couldn't get that high. But I went through my connections, and I got, I got a, apparently a really influential guy. Anytime I meet a Catholic, I, I tell them his name, and they're like, oh, you had lunch with him? Yes, I had lunch with him. So I said, okay, explain this to me. I said, you really believe that, this, that, that when you take the Lord's Supper, it is the bread is the flesh of Christ, the the wine is, is, is the blood of Christ. He says, absolutely. I said, I understand that. I might believe that myself, based on what I've read in the Scriptures. But let me understand how you, how you interpret this also. When does it become the bread? He says, when we pray, when does it become the flesh? He says, right after we've prayed over it, it becomes the flesh. And right after we've prayed over the cup, it becomes blood. I said, okay. I take some of that bread... I'm going to stick it 
into my infrared spectrophotometer. And I'm going to see carbohydrate stretches, which is a CO stretch predominantly and a lot of OH stretches there. You pray over it, and I'm going to, I'm going to see proteins. I'm going to see amide stretches. And the amide stretches are going to come in. The other former stretches are going to decrease, and the amide stretches are going to come in. Correct? He says, no. I said, no. I thought you said it becomes flesh. He says, the way the Catholics interpret this is that it is a mystery. It still remains carbohydrate, but it is mysteriously become flesh. I said, that I can go with. I'm okay with that. That in God's eyes, this is the very flesh of Christ. But it remains carbohydrate. I said, now the cup. I'm going to put that in my IR. And what I'm going to see is predominantly water. I'm going to see a little bit of saccharide in there. And then after you pray over it, I'm going to see plasma. I'm going to see hemoglobin. I'm going to see iron. I can do AA, atomic absorption, and detect iron from the hemoglobin. He says, no, you won't. Is it, is it okay that I ask him this? And we're not supposed to ask stuff like this. Is that all right? I mean, I just wanted to probe the guy. I just really wanted to know. I really wanted to know. He says, no, no, it, 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 it stays wine. But it is mysteriously the blood of Christ. I said, this I'm okay with. Because the way that I can interpret this is, in God's eyes, this is the very body and the very blood of Christ. And I believe that as Protestants, we try to dilute this thing down a lot. But there is a mystery here that Jesus could not have said it any more emphatically. And I said to him, I think I believe very much like you do. I said, so when I take of the body and the blood, he says, no, it has to be prayed over by a Catholic priest. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me, let me understand this. And so we had this dialogue. I said, let me understand this. So when I take of the body and the blood, and I really believe like you believe, that mysteriously this is the body and the blood of Christ. In God's eyes, this is really what this is. Although, as the elements itself, it remains the same. Bread and wine. But when I pray over it, no matter how much I believe it doesn't work, only when a Catholic priest says, that's what the church has handed down. I said, I don't see that in the Bible. And I said, it, it says right here, it says in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. I said, this is a big deal. I mean, we are talking about one of the things that has been handed to us, and Paul even spoke about in 1 Corinthians that as believers we're supposed to partake of, and partake of regularly, and I can't partake of it because I'm not a member of your little group. Not only that, I can't even come into your fellowship and partake of it because I'm not Catholic. He says, that's right, you can't. I said, so you are inhibiting me from getting life? I said, you know, this is quite a racket you have. And I told him this. That only through you and through your little group can you receive life? I mean, we're still friends. But I was as sincere as I could be. You know what the Bible... He says, this is what the church has handed down. I said, remember what the Bible says. The Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that this is not the church's table. It says, this is the Lord's table. 
doesn't belong to the church. Jesus has given so much to the church. The one thing He didn't give, He kept back as the Lord's table, we want to take for the church. He never gave it to us. It is the Lord's table. This is the saga that I went through over a period of many months of study. I wanted to be true to the Scriptures. I can very much understand the way Catholics are concerning the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. It is not just some figurative thing. It's not. Jesus said, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. No joke. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How much more emphatically can I say it? To the point that I'm not going to try to spiritualize this thing when you're walking away. In God's eyes, it's the very body and blood. This is the way I interpret this. Many, many theologians would say I'm wrong. But remember, my one protection in this is, I'm not a Protestant, I'm not a Baptist, I'm a Jew. I was born a Jew, I will die a Jew, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah. So I don't have to conform to anybody's way. I don't know what Messianic Jews believe. I don't know that we've defined it so well. I don't know that there's enough of us to have a definition here. That, that, that means anything very strong. But what I encourage you to do is read the Scriptures for what they say and say, Lord, speak to me. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to take Your Word and to read it and to meditate on it, and look at Scripture upon Scripture. And Father, that they would so follow Your will and Your way. Lord, I thank You for the bread, for the cup, that we can partake of that and have the very life of Jesus come within us. Thank You, my Father, for the pictures that You give us in this and for the truth of this. I pray your blessing to be upon these young people. In the name of Jesus, amen.